Good evening. Welcome to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Once again, I am Kyle Bird, your co-host. And I'm Matt Parmley. Hi. And we're back. Um, it is October, which means we are uh, watching horror movies. And we do that every year. And uh, when we do that in the month of October, um, taking up full-time residence here at KT headquarters at uh, the KT studio is our friend, Mr. Tom Gwelly. Hello. Hey, I'm feeling better. Yeah, you had a bout with the, the Rona. Yeah. Speaking of, I just got my second booster shot this weekend, and uh, Sunday I was a little under the weather, but I feel good now. My arms aren't even sore anymore. Um, and yes, uh, you can find Tom uh, on his own show now, uh, Final Forum Dragon Ball podcast, which just had some familiar buffoons on it. Um, Tom, why don't you tell uh, the, the, the fine folks at home what we, what we just did? Yeah, so we just recorded a Godzilla 1984 Return of Godzilla commentary. Uh, our idea for Halloween was because you can really only do scariest Dragon Ball moments like once. Uh, our idea was to take a look at when Dragon Ball creators appeared in or worked on other things. So Akira Toriyama has an extremely brief cameo in Godzilla 1984. Uh, so we did a commentary on it just to do a little break from the Dragon Ball of it all. And at the end of the month, we will be digging into the show Don Dracula because the screenwriter is the same as the screenwriter for most of the Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z episodes. <laughs> and uh, that cameo in 84 is so quick that we didn't even like we were like, I think this is the shot he's in. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, you're, you're taking the yeah. It's a little bit of a stretch for that, you know, the Dragon Ball relevance. But it was a good time, and I think people that listen to it will enjoy it. And uh, we have, I think, the only one of the four of us on this call who has managed to uh, elude COVID so far. So we have the the happy, healthy Trevor Snyder. Uh, hello, thank you. And I can't confirm that, you know, I've just never, I've never tested positive, but yeah. I still maintain that I probably had it at some point. <laughs> I think, you know, like, cause it's just, I was, there was a period where, you know, a couple times I felt a little under the weather. I just didn't get tested cause I was just chilling by myself anyways. But, uh, I did just get my second booster as well. So I'm feeling cocky and, and ready to rock. All right. And, um, uh, you can find, him on the uh, Failure to Franchise podcast and the X-Men Days of Future podcast podcast. I totally messed up the name of that, but <laughs> <laughs> Days of Future podcast is the name of the show. Uh, anyway, mm -hmm. um, uh, I know um, you're, you're a big horror guy as well, uh, and I know last time when you were here a couple weeks ago, you said that um, you were getting ready to uh, drop some stuff with uh, at least with failure to franchise any anything we should be looking for in the immediate future yet uh no something like if if you're checking out failure to franchise our um 
one of our Halloween episodes will be Wes Craven's Shocker, because that podcast is always us looking at movies that were meant to start franchises and didn't go anywhere. And so that was Craven's attempt to kind of do a new Freddy Krueger. Um, obviously not very successful. What a and shame. What a shame, right? No more Horace Pinker movies or whatever that guy's name is. Um, and then on Halloween uh, Day, we'll actually be releasing a special bonus episode, uh, which we're trying to keep a secret. So I'll I'll just say it's going to be another success to series, uh, which we occasionally do, where we look at a actual franchise that did take off that we're both fans of. Um, I'll just drop some hints. I think it's Jelly and I have experience with this franchise from previous podcasts. Oh God, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're going to dive into that one. So. All right. And, um, and, uh, just anything (laughs) just in general, um, what's one of the most, what's one of the most like, uh, hard to endure podcasts we ever did. Jelly. (laughs) (laughs) So Chris and I are going to be done a lot. Yeah, you know, one that one that was like a crazy idea that we surprisingly saw through. I think I have an idea. Yeah, I think you're I think you're probably there. Um anyway, if you guys uh so I mean, we're we're in uh the second full week of October, I I think. Have, have you guys done uh well on the whole uh, you know, watch a ton of horror movies deal? I have. Yeah, I've been getting better this week in particular. I started October a little slow and felt bad, um, but I've, I've been uh, doing better this week, watching a bunch. Yeah, I've kind of slowed down on, like, just, I guess, older stuff that I always like to throw in rotation. But, like, I'm caught I'm I'm decently caught up on new stuff, like Hellraiser and Werewolf by Night mm-hmm. and, um, ugh, for the yeah, love of God, Halloween Ends is this week so i'll i'm probably dumb enough that i'm gonna watch that (laughs) i started the month really slow because i was traveling um hence getting covid potentially uh and then i was in bed for multiple days and i watched i rewatched like the entire alien franchise um except for the one that i don't care to ever rewatch um there's a few of those that you could be talking (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was gonna say it's covenant um Oh, and I didn't watch the Alien versus Predator movies, but that was more because I don't have them. Not hard to find. Pretty sure they're avoiding on them. Um, but yeah, I've just been—I haven't been as crazy as usual, and it's kind of been nice. It's just been pulling something off of my shelf that I want to watch every day instead of doing some kind of theme or putting myself through the ringer trying to watch multiple movies a day. I've just been. Hey, I want to watch this tonight. I'm just pulling something off the shelf and watching it. It's been enjoyable. Yeah, that's always a good feeling. Um, not being held down by a, like a watch list. Um, Matt, how's your how's your October going? Man, I can barely keep up with the stuff we're watching for for our show. So I do like I try to hit thirty movies over two months, which is. Not a ton for Halloween viewing, but I start like in September and I'm on pace to hit. I think I've watched like 17 or 18 movies at this point. Okay. I typically start at the very end of September and then go through like, I don't know, the first week or two of November. I don't know. What do, what do the rest of you guys do? Man, when I like when I was single, I, I went all out and I started September 1st and just watched so many. And like I usually I got past 60. Um, 
because I was just like I was just been doing stuff. This this having a girlfriend stuff is for the birds, man. We we're trying to keep up the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but luckily, you typically go through always, Thanksgiving. Uh, well, no, I would do. I'm just talking about September, October, and yeah, then I yeah. would keep watching stuff into Thanksgiving. Yeah, but that was you know I always call that like the Halloween hangover. That's what I used to do, like a particular franchise watch. But actually, one uh, my girlfriend is into horror, thankfully. And she, we've been doing franchise watches for the past year. Um, and then she decided, and I was going to wait to do this for Thanksgiving, but she decided to jump the gun. And so one of the things we have been watching this October is we've been going through the Children of the Corn franchise. Uh, yeah, how's, so yeah. How's, how's that? I didn't say I've been watching. I didn't say I've been watching all good horror movies. I just said <laughs> I've been watching good horror. Um, you got to show her uh, Blood Rage for for November. Oh, she's seen Blood Rage. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Blood Rage. Is is a must for November. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I typically go into November also. Um, and uh, if people are like watching as we do our episodes, they're gonna have no choice um, because Matt and I like came up with like a packed slate of movies to watch and topics to do podcasts about. And then he got sick, and then like the week later, Tom had COVID. So that just threw our entire schedule into 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 mayhem um but you know some of us have already started watching stuff and so we're like you know what let's just stick to the plan so um halloween hangover maybe a little extended our main event today is a 1998 american monster movie uh which is deep rising um and uh, there's a few reasons I think we wanted to do this. One that I think most, if not all of you know, <laughs> is something that I want to get off my chest. But um, also, you know, it's just a decent giant monster movie that I, I think a lot of people over have overlooked. And um, it'll be it'll be nice to talk about. And, uh, um, you know, maybe maybe it'll get some more eyes on this thing. Um, and you're such a big fan of the 1999 Mummy movie. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the main reason I wanted this episode, was just to give Bird a hard time for not enjoying the Mummy. <laughs> here's here's like some okay. kind of joyless <laughs> fool. Okay, here's what I... Here, okay, here's what I'll say about the Mummy. Oh, it's God, been a very it long... It's been a very long time since I've seen the Mummy. However, it's a movie I have seen a couple times in my lifetime. Not... Probably not within the last over a decade, fifteen years maybe, and it's just not something that I've ever been super taken with. Uh, you know, it, it just always kind of felt, you know, just more kind of cookie cutter action adventure Indiana Jones kind of thing. Maybe, and and you know what, I'll I'll say. I'll I'll give you guys some some crumbs. Maybe I'm just looking at it f- f- from the wrong perspective. So I I would not be opposed to rewatching the first one. Okay, I don't know if I can do any do the, the second one and the third one where there's Yetis playing volleyball. I don't know if I can do all that. <laughs> well, you gotta watch all like ten Scorpion King movies too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't even try to get me. <laughs> Watching all these Scorpion King things, I, you know, but I, I wouldn't mind giving the, the first one another shot and, and a fair shake, I, you know, and, and I'll say that. I, I, I will be respectful, and um, 
I, I I'll say you know I, maybe it's just you know my perspective the last you know like I said I was very I was a lot younger and maybe I was just looking looking for something I, that it didn't give me and maybe I can just go in fresh with a new perspective I w- I would be okay doing that. Come on, Brendan Fraser just had Batgirl canceled. Give the man a break. You know? <laughs> he's got the whale coming up. He's got all. He's he's gonna get. Everyone's Oscar mad at him. About, everyone's <laughs> mad at him about it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. People can't make up their mind if they're happy or not about. I don't know. Um. Anyway, the reason the Mummy came up is it is uh, directed by Stephen Summers, who directed Deep Rising, and it is the follow up. Uh, his follow up movie is what he did after this. Um. Kind of surprising that he was allowed to do the mummy after Deep Rising, right? Because this was not a hit. Yo, yeah, <laughs> that that's putting it pretty it must politely. Have been, did, he, did he already have the mummy lined up? Because they always say that, right? They always say, "Have your next project lined up already, just in case." I don't think he did, uh, but you know, I, I I I haven't, you know, this is since this isn't like a mummy <laughs> podcast, so I I didn't really look at a lot of like read a, read a whole lot about the mummy. Can we call an audible and make this a mummy podcast? <laughs> nah, I, I, I'd be I'm, good with that. I, I don't think we can. Um, but I know There's the a mummy scene where he turns into like a giant sand monster. That that is I true, and I, I I I do remember that scene. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I know the mummy was in all kinds of that was that 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 was a cursed production for a long time. I mean, who wasn't attached to that thing? Like. It went through Clive Barker. Lars von Trier. Yeah, yeah. Might as well. At this point, I would watch Lars von Trier mummy movie. But yeah, pretty much everyone besides Lars von George Romero, Joe Dante. Uh, uh, was Peter Jackson in there at one point? I, like every I every so, yeah. every director like ever Mick was Garris. Was yeah, Mick Garris. So many people. Um, by the way, uh, Steven Summers came to the Mummy project in '97. So, okay, so so he that was probably while he was working on this. Yeah. So so you know maybe some ink was dry, and by the time this uh, was a box office catastrophe, they were like, "Well, contracts <laughs> contracts already signed." Um. Uh, but yeah, so this is a, a an old school Steven Summers movie in that. Um, it is pre mummy and pre whatever he whatever happened ended up happening to him after that van helsing g i joe um uh and uh yeah the to say this was a a failure when it came out is uh an understatement um it was critically reviled uh it's roger ebert uh called it one of his most hated movies. Um, budget was $45 million and it made 11 <laughs> at the box office. So, um, it should have ended multiple careers. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't and, you know, good for, good for it. And it is one that it, I don't know, maybe I'm jumping the gun and, you know, we, I guess we'll circle back to this. I, you know, I, I push back on like the, that common trope of everyone saying, you know, movies are just worse now. And it's like, well, there's always been a lot of crap, but like I, you know, you don't have to love this movie, but to, to for anyone to hate it that much is really strange to me. 
That's um, what I was just about to say. Like, I don't get like it's just it's bizarre to think anybody had like that much vitriol for this movie. Yeah, it's 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 a weird. Uh, it's it it's certainly weird. ended the experiment of Treat Williams as a action hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, in in theatrical films, yes. However, I can tell you as recently as Trev, what what, what was it like? Two thousand thirteen, fourteen. He was the lead in a very enjoyable asylum movie called age of the dinosaurs which had dinosaurs like running around a mall so mm-hmm. he also <laughs> went on to uh, there was that movie like the substitute that was a theatrical movie with i think tom berenger yeah he was in the sequels on. right yeah he's like there's a bunch of like dtv sequels and those were all treat williams so and that was post deep rising so yeah as a theatrical um leading man this might be it but he he fled to the land of uh straight to video yeah he he, he seems like he's Probably making, you know, consistent uh, work and he's, he's, he's oh, happy. Oh, yeah, he's, you know? he's consistently working and he's in he's in theatrically released films. But he's not uh, an action hero anymore. <laughs> no. No. Um, so anyway, uh, one thing I always like to point out with this movie is that uh, it came out in 1998 <clears throat> And from, like, 96 through, like, 2001, 2002, like, uh, this is part of, like, what I would would consider, like, the last wave of real Hollywood is in, when I say Hollywood, I don't necessarily mean, like, like, this was still was only $45 million budget. I, I just mean, like, theatrical, mainstream monster movies you know we'll get a monster movie here and there um including one that came out this year that i'm not gonna say what movie because it could be a potential spoiler until we talk about it later um but monster movies were like pretty regularly made and released in wide release and then somewhere around the early 2000s it just kind of stopped and like 1998 99 the 97, 98, 99, that was like kind of a great year for that um, kind of uh, theatrical mainstream B-movie because, uh, you know, you had Deep Rising, you had, um, I mean, you did have the 1998 Godzilla, which it is, it, it's what it is, but still, you know, it's still a big monster movie with a lot of practical effects. Um, you had... Uh, Anaconda, Starship Troopers, species, <laughs> yeah, species, uh, uh, um, the relic, uh, mimic, um, the mummy. Well, that, that's <laughs> again. I don't. I, I see. This is where you're gonna get me talking about the mummy more. I mean, it, it's technically a monster movie, but it's it's like an. I don't know. To me, it's more of like an Indiana Jones kind of thing. It's a giant <laughs> creature in the movie. There's not a giant. That, that, there's a the mummy. A, the, the mummy <laughs> is as much of a monster movie as Starship Troopers. If you're gonna pull. The, if you're gonna throw Starship Troopers in there, you gotta throw the mummy because one's a war film with a monster, and the other is an adventure movie with a monster. Uh, okay, I can concede. Anyway, what year was the mummy? Was that ninety nine? It's ninety eight or ninety nine. Uh, it's 99. Yeah, so yeah, he really did just go right from this into The Mummy. Um, 
Anyway, yeah, okay, so yeah, you can throw the mummy in there, sure. Uh, <laughs> makes, it makes everyone happy. Uh, my it does point... make every, the mummy does make everyone happy. <laughs> <laughs> my point being, this was like the last stand of, you know, monster movies as being like a norm. Oh, Lake Placid, that's another good this one. This kind of monster movie specifically, this like more creature feature type of thing. Yeah. Right, because we still get monster movies. I mean, there's a whole monster verse, um, but they're... <sighs> Again, I, though, I, put, I mean that—that's like Godzilla movies, sort of separate to an extent from the feeling of this kind of monster. Well, yeah, movie. and and that's why, um, that's why when I brought up the '98 Godzilla, I was, you know, that I, I was a little distanced from bringing that up. Is yes, it's part of this wave of films, but it's also again big IP, big, you know, thing people know, similar to the Mummy. You know, it's 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 the they're, they're, those are franchise things. Same with the MonsterVerse stuff. Like to me, those aren't like oh, monster movies are back. It's like oh, Godzilla and Kong are back. You know, um, and so yeah, I, I'm 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 thinking of stuff that wasn't like super well known branded territory as just like part of like every studio being like okay. What do we got, you know, this year? We got this big blockbuster. We got a smaller sci-fi movie. We got a little creature feature monster movie. And that's, like, how studios were then. Now it's, you know, what what's what's the IP that we have that we can just, like, smash onto as many screens as possible? I think um, the last gasp of that was, because I'm looking at a list of, like, well, I'm just kind of trying to remember titles. and Because um, you said, like, how it kind of died off in, like, 2000. Um, in 2000 was Pitch Black. I wonder if that was kind of like the end of it. Yeah, Even Pitch that was, Black. We, you know, yeah. yeah, Pitch Black's well, another but... good example. And yeah, I mean, there's also stuff like, uh, you know, even more family stuff like Disney's Mighty Joe Young remake. Um, and uh, oh, you know what? Another another one that you could say is like one of the last ones is uh, Reign of Fire. Oh, yeah. I like that movie. I do, too. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, that's you another movie. That. You still get the little gasps. Recently, it was awesome. You still get the yeah. little gasps of it, which I appreciate, which is why, unlike Bird, Trev and I appreciate the, the glory that was Crawl. Um, yeah. And you don't like unlike, Crawl or the Mummy? What's wrong with you? And unlike this all your, of you. This is your co host. And, and unlike all of you, I liked Love and Monsters. I like that movie. What? <laughs> This is slanderous. Oh, I was the one who wasn't super hot on it. I, I no, I, I, me, I, I, me and Trev were both more lukewarm on Love and Monsters. You two were the ones that were out of control there. Because it's good? It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, well, yeah, Love and Monsters is an exception. Crawl... Uh, it crawls adjacent, you know, I, it's, it's a, it's a nature run amok movie, which is, has its place, but I, you know, it's not, you know, a mutant octopus or anything. What about underwater? Yeah. Underwater. I would, I would, I would say is a good kind of example. Underwater is definitely a movie that like, obviously aesthetically is very modern, but like just the concept of it, it it feels like a script that someone could have dug out of this era and, and been like, oh, let's make this. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I particularly miss that. And it's, it's weird now looking back at it as something that like wouldn't happen today. 
Like Anaconda, that movie's crazy. <laughs> I don't see a, I don't see a movie like Anaconda ever happening again, especially with that level of like star power attached to it. <laughs> yeah, John Voight was in that movie. Everyone's in that. John Voight, Jennifer Lopez, uh Ice Cube, um Danny Trejo. Like an like, Anaconda like, reboot Stones. with like Tom yeah. Hanks. <laughs> yeah. Let's make that happen. That'd be awesome. It is well. That kind of brings to mind something I was going to say about what Bernie's talking about here. Is that it's actually kind of surprising to me that, like, because you just said how a movie like Anaconda wouldn't happen today, not with that level, not that cast, and not that kind of release. And it's strange that this never really came back in a big way because in the twenty in the twenty tens is what I'm talking about. Because there was definitely a period where people caught more on to the fact that um, audiences like so bad they're good movies. And that became like a big thing on TV, right? With like the Sharknado series and Sci-Fi Channel had this like long run of every Saturday night, some kind of new, cheap, stupid creature feature. And like when that was like kind of going and like people were like clearly like cashing in on it, I'm surprised more people didn't try to like bring it kind of back in a bigger way in theaters. You and I often talked about how when, especially as like Sharknado was getting near the end, when they're getting to like five and six, I kept expecting, and I still, but part of me still does expect to hear someday that they're going to do like a big budget Sharknado yeah. like reboot, right? Like Almost try to do, like relaunch it as like a, a theatrical thing. Yeah. Almost similar to how like Legendary Pictures just wrapped up like a big budget Toxic Avenger movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and speaking of sci fi, like in Anaconda and Lake Placid, like sci fi, those kinds of movies, that's like where Anaconda and Lake Placid like went to die. Yeah, they fought each other. Specifically in Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. where the snake fought the whole lake. (laughs) Right. That happened in 2015. I did not know about that. Did you really not know that? No, I forgot. I had better things to do in 2015, I guess. Um, anyway, so, I mean, yeah, we're just being old and nostalgic at this point, uh, um, but another thing, Deep Rising was made by, do you guys know the studio that made Deep Rising? It may surprise some people. Columbia? Uh, Disney, that is right. Um... I think, uh, so So for people that may think that sounds weird, it's not as weird as you'd think. Disney, um, for a long time, had a, a certain um, imprints, I guess, if, I don't know, that's just lack of a better word, um, where they would make, you know, not, le- you know less family-friendly or, you know, less kid-oriented material. Um, and so that's where, uh, if you guys remember Buena Vista... That yeah, was Buena Disney. Vista was like yep. the big one that I remember. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and they, like Buena Vista handled their kind of like more like actiony stuff like this, and then Touchstone was like their like dramas and family films. Yeah, so that's where you get like David Lynch made a movie for Disney, Straight Story. Like that's a Disney movie. Um, this was made at Hollywood Pictures, um, and uh, it is it's too bad that this isn't really like a standard practice for Disney. But now that they have Hulu, I think. Um, I don't know if it was you guys or someone else. I was, I was just talking to about this. Like, I, I think that could become like the new Hollywood pictures. I mean, um, like the new Hellraiser and Prey. Granted, those are franchise films, um, but uh, 
they have a good thing going on with that. So, I mean, like, I don't know. They, they're, they're showing that they like, I wish it was, I wish it was like more, but they're showing that they have at least a little bit of a, you know, intention or, um, you know, attitude to dip their toes in that water. Cause Disney did make barbarian this year when apparently like nobody yep. else wanted to. Yep. So. Barbarian's another one. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so it, so yeah, they're, they're still doing it and it, and it seems like, but with barbarians box office and, um, you know, them at this point, you know, their, their inherited franchises, predator, hellraiser, um, all that stuff has been pretty successful and uh, with an alien series on the way, you know, maybe they will actually start making decent, you know, more adult oriented genre stuff uh, is a regular thing. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so uh, Stephen Summers um, was working at Disney in the mid 90s and uh, he wrote a script called Tentacle at the time. Um, and he tried to get it. Uh, made for quite a while, um, and uh, he even had a, like a, a big maquette of the creature for when he was pitching it to Disney. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess eventually he convinced them to throw him a couple bucks and make it. Now, um, I am going to do something that we probably should have been doing all along, but um, uh on Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery's new podcast, when they do the plot summary, they just read the back of the box. Very simple. Why we haven't been doing that for the last six years or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> but I just so happen to have Deep Rising. Sometimes it's more fun to hear a person struggle through what the hell happened in a movie. Yes, and I'm sure we'll get back to that. <laughs> but because I have Deep Rising, I have the uh, the Kino Lorber Blu-ray, which is uh, pretty good. So I would recommend it, just because it's got a lot of stuff on it. Um, I am going to read the back of the box to Deep Rising. <clears throat> Buckle up for edge of your seat excitement with the explosive hit Deep Rising. That's a lie. Um, uh, explosive, maybe, but a hit, no. A band of ruthless hijackers sees the most luxurious cruise in the world, only to find that all the passengers have mysteriously disappeared, but they are not alone. Something terrifying is lurking just out of sight. Behind every deck and passageway, a deadly force from the unexplored depths of the ocean that begins to snatch the horrified intruders one by one. Treat Williams, Prince of the City. Uh, that's a movie title in parentheses, not like a description. Yeah, it's not an actual title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Sexy Famka Jansen, X-Men Trilogy. Lead a group of survivors who must overcome incredible odds in their breathtaking battle to escape the doomed ship alive. Written and directed by Stephen Summers, The Mummy, and Van Helsing. And featuring a stellar cast that includes Anthony Heald from Silence of the Lands, Kevin J. O'Connor from Color of Night, Wes Studi from Last of the Mohicans, Jason Fleming from Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Cliff Curtis from Live Free or Die Hard. Jeez, you couldn't... Think of something better for Cliff Curtis? My God. And <laughs> and Jimon Hansu from Amistad. Um, you know, after reading that, I feel like that, that plot description doesn't quite set us up the way that 
I would have liked, but I do like that you left in the the, the movies in parentheses though, because it made it sound like you said the movie was written by Stephen Summers, The Mummy, and Van Helsing, like the three of them were together. <laughs> <sighs> um, but yeah, so so yeah, Treat Williams uh, is transporting these uh, hijackers uh, who are um, trying to rob this like super rich people cruise. And, yeah, uh, what's the what's the saying of their boat? If the money's there, we don't care or something. Yeah, like yeah, that? Is yeah. That, they, yeah, they'll they'll uh, they'll they'll get you from point A to point B, and they don't care what you're doing as long as you pay them. Essentially, um, yeah, and I and I, I, I the, the the description there doesn't say much about the monster, but I guess you know I don't know if you'd call this a twist or not, but it is revealed that you know these big tentacles, these worm things that are killing everyone are actually all part of one giant monster who has kind of, like, enveloped the whole ship. It's this big octopus thing. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I guess the main, the main conflict with the people is these, uh, uh, these hijackers and our, our, our heroes who have found themselves in this crazy situation. But that's deep rising. Um, <laughs> funny enough, I mentioned I meant to men- mention this earlier, um, and I know Trev loves the Mummy, as, as has been established, and uh, I know Trev Trev likes this movie. But I don't know what in my head made me think Trev like loved this movie. Because when Matt and I were like, okay, what do we, what movies do we want to pick? Who do we want to get on these shows with us? I was like, when Deep Rising came up, I was like, we get Trev for Deep Rising. For whatever reason, I thought he was like head over heels, like in love with this movie. <laughs> I thought he was like a Deep Rising super fan. And instead he's like, yeah, I like it. But like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure we had some conversation years ago where we were talking about like movies we thought were underrated. And I probably was like, yeah, Deep Rising, that's really good. And like, for whatever reason that stuck with you, and you're like, oh man. Yeah. That's over like one of the Trump's favorites. <laughs> over the years, it mutated into this being like your favorite movie or something. <laughs> um, um, I think all of us, except for Matt, which was surprising to me, um, had seen it before this. So, um, Matt, I, I'm going to kind of pass the mic to you. Um, as I guess the deep rising newbie to kind of share your, your, your thoughts. Yeah, I was actually, uh, for some reason I thought I'd seen this and I'm surprised that I even, even for me, uh, hadn't have watched this one yet, but, um, this is like that staple creature feature that you think of when you were like for us, when we were kids, I mean, it's a movie that like, I can see getting some play on sci-fi and things. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Like, I mean, it, this, the storytelling is very basic, but like all the effects and it has a pretty good mix. I mean, it's got practical and obviously we can talk about the CGI, which hasn't aged well, but I th- still think the concepts are really fun. The creature's great. Um, I had a really good time with it, honestly. And there's, there's not a whole lot to say except to, we, to where we get to the end, where I, which I actually really liked where they sort of up in the um, very predictable ending in a way that I thought was, was clever. But yeah, it was, it was a really good time. This is one of those movies that I, have been like a champion of for a very long time. And I have like, I don't know, some, I guess I'll say nostalgic connection to, I, it's weird. I don't, <clears throat> I don't specifically remember seeing this in the theater, but <laughs> no one did. 
But I remember it in that same vein with, you know, we mentioned all those other movies along the way, but one we left out is The Relic. I mentioned The Relic, but not in oh. any, like, super meaningful capacity. Okay, I might I must have just spaced out for a second there. But yeah, I mean, that's just... I remember it, like, in that, like, I, like, I was just the perfect age, you know, 13 years old to see, well... 12, 13 years old, something like that, to see a movie that's, you know, rated R, but not so pushing that R rating that your parents are like, oh, you can't watch that, you know? Um, But you just think it's like the coolest thing because it's this, it is a really cool concept. And when you're that age, it's you're the perfect age to just, take a cool concept and be like, that's enough for me. Um, but yeah, I, I have long been a big fan of this movie and, uh, I really, really dig it. I, I bought the Kino Lorber blue as soon as I found out it existed and I've watched it like a couple times since buying it now. And, uh, it always just, is uh, an enjoyable, fun creature feature watch. It was Jelly you were thinking of, Bird. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I definitely, like I said, I enjoy it. I always have enjoyed it. It's, it's not my favorite movie of all time or anything, but uh, it does, it does, it just does strike that itch for you. Like when you watch it, it's it just takes you back to. Oh, it sounds like an old fogey. Like takes you back to a simpler time, but what Bird was saying earlier about that, that great little period where we're getting these kind of like high concept, you know, bigger budget, but still mid budget monster movies. Um, it's just a really fun group of characters. I think that's the really important thing, right? It's not even just the monster stuff. And cause one thing I'll, I'll slightly, um, you know, Matt mentioned how the CG doesn't really, uh, how it's a little dated. I- I've seen so many movies of the same period or movies that even came later where the CGI is like more dated today. I think the CGI holds up mm-hmm. fairly well in this movie actually. Uh, for the most part. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do like the monster. I like the effects. But really, it's this group of characters. I'm sure we'll talk about some standouts in a moment. But they're just a fun group to, like, spend an hour and 45 or so with. Uh, there's a lot of, like, uh, you know, memorable beats and memorable lines. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, it's it's it perfectly services what is meant to be, like, kind of a bigger Hollywood B movie. And we didn't even mention that there's was originally supposed to be, like, a higher budgeted Harrison Ford movie. Like he was supposed to play or they wanted him to play Finnegan. I think he was actually almost like attached. But when he dropped out, they cut the budget. That's why they went to treat Williams and kind of got this cast. <laughs> now, there's a, there's a lot of people in this movie who are like kind of more recognizable to us today. I think. Oh, yeah. Um, or at least yeah. a few. But I, I, I can't even I don't I can't imagine, nor do I really want to see the higher budgeted Harrison Ford version of this. I think it works perfectly at the budget level it's at. I think these kind of movies are better suited as smaller B movies with like less prestige to them. Cause it allows them to feel a little more just down and dirty. Um, yeah. That's, and, and, that's and, I and, and, and I mean, it's, it's a good cast of like character actors, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's all people that like when they pop up in movies today, even you're like, Oh, I'm glad this person, I, I like this person, you know, this was yeah. just like all that. Pretty much. Feels like it would be, it would try too hard to not have the campy fun that yeah, this that's what movie I mean. has. If if it was Harrison Ford, yeah. I, and one thing that is, I, I'm I'm probably not gonna explain this 
the best. But, you know, getting to the characters and, you know, with them being fun. Um, so, yeah, this is it, this is a fairly light. I don't know if I want to say lighthearted, but, it, you know, it, it's it's not a super like gritty. Kind of horror movie it, it is more of like a, a a fun more popcorn movie kind of thing and uh like yes there's humor no not all of it lands but it, the characters have enough charm to them um and enough like unique little quirks here and there and things like that that make them um fun to be around and when you contrast that with what a lot of genre movies especially nowadays do where they they kind of supplant personality with just humor or just jokes it's kind of what what i've i've said about the last couple um monsterverse movies when it comes to the human characters is it's like you know this entire character's personality is just like joking jokes you know, and 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 I think stuff like Deep Rising elevate that to just a little higher, and that's and that's really all we're asking for. Um, you know, when you criticize a monster movie or a, a sci-fi movie or a horror movie for the characters, people, you know, very often will be like, "Oh, well, you know, what are you expecting? Like a deep character study?" And it's like, "Well, no, not at all. I, I don't, I." You know, you can have characters as shallow as you want, but like they need to be broad and they need to be have big personalities and the, and and they need to make an impression. And I and I think that's what um this movie does so well and that's what all the actors in this movie do well because they're all very consistent character actors that can bring that kind of stuff to life. Um, so yeah, if you if you cast right and the cast is, has the gets the material, you can always overcome the triteness or the cliche of the characters. And the, like the perfect example of that is, there's the character in this that's in like every movie like this, right? Because you want to saddle your heroes with like a scumbag the whole time, right? So here we have the guy who like. Um, you know, he was on the boat already. He's in charge of the boat, and he's tried to set this whole thing up as like an insurance scam. And he's great. Like it's that's like such a generic horror character. But they cast Anthony Heald, who's an actor I love. Most people remember him as Chilton in Silence of the Lambs. Um, I really remember him. I, I loved the show Boston Public back in the day, and he was one of the main cast on that uh, as the assistant principal. But he's just so – he's so um, – such a sleazebag in this. But like a fun sleazebag, right? You, you don't hate being around him. You you love hating him. So you need to find those cast members who get into the camp of it. And I think most of the cast here does that really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think that's that's all we're really looking for in you know these these movies is like you know yeah the characters in this are probably about as deep as a puddle, but they're very fun to be around and spend time with. You know what it has that that you don't get in modern movies like at all anymore, and and it really is the one of the things that kind of makes it so much fun. Really is it has moments of calm and moments of quiet. Mm. One of the best moments of the entire movie is when they get into the kitchen and they get into the kitchen and they're all, they all are, they're feeling safe and everything. And, and treat Williams tells the story about the, the fish in the jar. You know, I saw a, a 
a guy give a give a fish in a bottle and he corked the bottle and he handed it to an octopus and the octopus felt all around and it took him less than a minute to open it up and get inside and get the fish. That's a it's just a moment of calm and a moment of quiet and it gives you a, a few things in just a moment. You get a little bit of character development with him and with some of the other characters, because you get the ones who, who, who get it like, like Famke Janssen, who, uh, a let's just also say is like insanely hot in this. Um, but, uh, you, you get little bits of character development and you get some tension building so that when the next big action sequence or something happens, it feels impactful because you're not just constantly running from thing to thing, to thing, to thing, you get moments of quiet and moments of calm. And like, there's a difference between fast paced and every that, you know, I don't know that there's a difference between that and how it's just like a default (laughs) setting now. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think um, the, the the characters being able to breathe a little bit, you know, and have multiple scenes where they are just kind of like, you know, sitting around and talking or, you know, arguing about something. Um, those, those aren't always the easiest scenes to write because, again, you have to keep them entertaining. And that's another thing that this movie does well. Um, one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite things is um, Kevin J. O'Connor's character, who I, I, I who I, I think is so jokey that he's often irritating. But he does have one of my favorite exchanges in the movie, where um, I don't even remember what uh, they're arguing about or what they're saying. But like he, he says something, and then uh, um, one of the one of the criminals i don't remember if it's west studies like leader character or a different one one of them just says like something like god i hate you or something and he just goes you don't even know me like that makes me laugh well this is like the beginning of like a ongoing like working relationship with kevin kevin o'connor and uh steven summers because obviously he goes on to play benny and the yep. mummy yep and uh and I, I know like i'm sure you saw this too where they basically like he started just improving on set mm-hmm. and Summers loved it and told him, just keep doing that. Like you be the guy who improvises everything. And I think it's like, cause you said how he's kind of irritating. And I think that's the point of the character, right? right. I think he's just like, Hey, go ahead and irritate the other actors. And that'll actually work for the film. But it does do a thing where he actually somehow becomes like a lovable irritant. Like you don't, you, he is one of the guys you're rooting for, even though. He yeah. I, I don't, and I, I don't that's really like, hate that's him. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a credit to, I think just Kevin, kind of like uh, his innate kind of charisma. Um, I was actually kind of surprised he never went on to be like a bigger deal beyond this. I was also wondering, because I was reading that Famke, first of all, I was just thrown aback when I learned for the first time ever that Tom pronounces Famke Jansen, Famke Janssen, and that really threw me off. But um, Isn't it? Isn't that what it is? I think it's Famke. I've, always, I've, always, I've only ever heard Jansen. I've always heard but, Jansen, but I... Yeah. Um, um. But the right before, like, was it before this? Lord of Illusions? Yeah, because, like, her and, um, yeah, 
her this and is a, this uh, is a Kevin Lord J. of Yep, Lord of Illusions Lord reunion. Lord of Illusions yeah. reunion between her and Kevin J. O'Connor. But she was not supposed to be in this originally. Uh, yep. Real blast from the past here. Her character was actually supposed to be. I don't know if you guys remember Claire Falani. Yep. Who uh, from Mallrats? Right. And I guess yeah. she what she filmed like one or two days, and then yeah, yeah. I I um. I listened to the commentary and they don't say her name. I don't know, probably just trying to like be mm. respectful or whatever, but they they say the studio kind of pushed an actress on to Summers that he 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 really didn't want and didn't feel like her audition was the best one and um and then other than that all I know is that like she after a couple of days she left and it just said creative differences. Um yeah. however <laughs> I will say uh, one thing that he also says on the commentary, which I don't know if he should have admitted, especially uh, in 2020, well, whenever this Blu-ray came out, 2018, 19, whatever. Um, uh, Famke's first day on the set, she was kind of complaining um, about things like her wardrobe and makeup. And, and she was saying, like, everyone just wants me to be beautiful in movies. And, like, she was like, can I just, like, be, like, normal like, and not just like, oh, look how hot she is. And Stephen Summers told her, <laughs> um, and I quote, you can look however you want when you're not the romantic lead in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know if, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if maybe that is why there were tensions with Claire Forlani or what, but uh, yeah, that that's that's how it was that is all that's awful but at the same time <laughs> uh, as as tom alluded to earlier uh famka jansen at this time period oh, oh my yeah God. for <laughs> so, sure yeah 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 and and this is also for her i think she went what was it like like it was like bond lord of illusions deep rising pretty much and then and then into x-men yeah i mean i think those are all even it's Janssen, uh, you philistines Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I looked it up. How'd you look it up? The internet? <laughs> but like you can't who's trust the internet? Yeah, who 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 told you this? Uh What is the name of What culture? Dot com. What they have an article on how to pronounce her last name? What what was going they on? They have an article on common commonly mispronounced actors well, well she came to america it's jansen now she has to deal with it <laughs> <laughs> i'll just quickly say the other performance i really like and this is another just one of those guys speaking of x-men another x-men alum uh jason fleming uh another actor that it just kind of you know he's one of those guys you just he's never like the star of anything but when he pops up and stuff, you're always happy to see him. And I think he's good in this as like the maybe like the shittiest of like the, like yeah. the mercenaries. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's like the one who you are rooting for to see get uh, get taken down. And I, so I, I quite enjoy him in this. I think this is like one of the first things he he really. I, it's, I'm almost positive it's the first thing I ever saw him in. And yeah. I think that's also true of I think. This I, is I mean, the, I, my... I think Locks. I mean, he's like a character actor. So I guess Lockstock is like. The yeah, thing I that saw this before, was, yeah, it was yeah, right before this. Well, I guess his first movie was uh, the Stephen Summers '94 version of Jungle Book, so he got his start with Stephen Summers. I think one thing I appreciate about all the characters in this movie is just the very simple 
straightforward story that just kind of allow, allows them to to have fun. Because like that's the thing about this movie that I I kind of adore is just very simple storytelling. Yeah, there's a couple of twists along the way, but like it also allows you just to have fun with the movie, enjoy it versus kind of like what Tom was talking about earlier, where uh, a lot of modern movies feel so busy. And because this movie is so simple and straightforward, it allows you to have the characters that you actually you know, care about. Um, but I mean, like that's that's kind of the thing I think I appreciated the most. And you've already talked about all the all the main players already, so I don't really have much to add there. Um. Well, uh, I want to talk about the creature stuff and the horror stuff. As as uh, much as we're talking about how this movie is lighthearted fun, um, it really does not skimp on the horror either. Um, there's some pretty rad um, horror stuff in this movie. Um, and uh, a couple of my favorite moments that I want to talk about... Um, so I, 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 the, what I'm getting from the creature is that it's, it's like, um, I guess for monster movies, I'll talk, I'll, I'll mention like the, the monster from the host, like it eats stuff, digests it, and then it like pukes up what it can't digest. Like, so, so there's a couple scenes where like, they'll walk into a room and just see like nasty, like, <laughs> like partially digested bodies and skeletons with like meat hanging off of them and stuff. That's like really like gross and sick. And like that, I love those scenes. Um, and, uh, there's a, a scene that, uh, I think works well kind of like, um, in a claustrophobic way where like you see the tentacle, like making like squeezing the room they're in and you see like the metal in the wall, like the imprint, like as it's like trying to squeeze it. Um, and then of yeah. course my favorite horror beat is when it pukes up the guy who's like half digested and is still alive. And it's like, that is so, <laughs> that's so gross and like disturbing, but it's great. And, uh, um, and that is one of the actual f CG effects to talk about what Trev was saying about the CG that I think is held up really well. That wasn't makeup, but yeah, like he's like half gone and you see like the uh the tendons like holding his jaw together when he screams and stuff i love that stuff yeah you hit Agreed. on it i mean those are those are a bunch of those are my favorite i mean all all the same right it's it's the the horror beats in it 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 always surprises i don't want to say surprises me because event you know you get to a point where you're not i guess surprised by it anymore but I think when I when I re when I first bought the movie and then I you know came back to it for the first time in years and years, I was pretty surprised how much it goes for it with the horror elements because I don't know I just feel like you don't you don't see that as much in like a fifty million dollar budgeted type of thing which fifty million dollars in 97 98 is you know like a hundred million dollars now right so like you just you don't see movies with this big a budget going for that level of um uh, down and dirty sort of horror type of stuff and that 
is great. It would have been very easy to compromise this into a PG-13. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the Harrison Ford version would have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you would you would probably lose a good amount of that stuff. Um, the thing I really appreciate in the, about the monster in this, and it's one of the main reasons, like, so whenever you and I did talk about this in the past, when apparently I told you it was my favorite movie ever, um, <laughs> one, thing I, one thing I have just always remembered about it and I still like today is it's just so unique. I still, I mean, there's, no, I just can't even think of, like, I'm sure there's probably something I'm missing, but the idea of like this one singular creature just wrapping itself around this boat and like being able to pop in and out of different places. Like that's what I always remember about this movie and like what is so cool about it. Cause obviously yeah. there's plenty of movies about people like stuck on boats with like different things running around. And like, that's a, you, it's a very easy to do. We've seen it before, but you never really get the one thing is like, um, you never get like a great look at like its entirety. And I think that's by design. Like they kind of want you to be in the mind space of the, and like the headspace of the characters and what they can see. Um, and I think that makes it even better. Like it's how mysterious this monster is and how the movie's constantly forcing you to kind of try and picture what it must look like in its entirety up until the climax, you know, like, I think that's, that's awesome. And like, that makes it just so much more unique to me. And I've just always remembered how, you know, a lot of those movies we mentioned earlier, like the relic and, you know, um, oh, one we didn't mention is screamers. Remember screamers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's like all these movies like created like new monsters, but I don't know if how, how, how many of them were as unique and as cool of an idea as what summers came up with here for like this, this creature. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that it's, it's just a big octopus thing wrap wrapping itself around a boat and, mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, he said like he, he wanted to think of a, a creature that could do that. And like, like just like real octopus, can like slide in and out of like tiny spaces, even though it's a lot like that are like yeah. way smaller. There was smaller. that video of that octopus that's like on the boat and it like gets out and it gets out of the boat by like that little like hole like in the side. Yeah, it's crazy. They mm-hmm. and nothing should be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, the the it, speaking of the creature, I think this is the last. Rob Botin still did a worked on a few movies after this, but I think this is the last one that he did like a ground up creature design for, um, Rob Botin, of course, being like the great effects guy behind the thing and the howling. Um, who then, who then became a hermit hermit (laughs) when CG came around. Yeah. And, um, and speaking of CG and practical effects, um, initially Summers wanted this to be more practical effects driven, um, you know, and, uh, have like these big rigs with like these 20 foot tentacles. Um, and just, they just realized, you know, this movie really isn't going to work the way they wanted it to that way. And normally I wouldn't fall on this side, but I think that was probably a good idea because there are a lot of stuff they do with the tentacles in this that I don't know that you could do with like a physical, like 20 foot octopus tentacle. It would be hard. I I think, yeah, this, I would like a little bit more tactility and practicality to it, but it, it really would be hard. Uh, this is that kind of rare case of CG seems like the right fit for this. Um, there is some practical tentacle stuff like, uh, usually like when like they're being shot at and like, they have to like, you know, 
there's like goo that has to like explode out of them and stuff like that. But yeah. And that, that uh, I was watching blade two recently. I think it was blade two that I was watching recently where I was love like, that movie, but Lord, that talk about a movie that CG has not held up. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I think that was the one I was watching recently where I was like, boy, you know, most of the CG itself holds up except like, can we, never do CG blood splatters. You know, oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I know. I just, boy, it's, it's not as good, right? I mean, the actual splatters and, and sprays and stuff. I mean, get these actors dirty, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it does look so much better. Um, it's a, it's probably a mixed bag. I do think a lot of it is, for the time, fairly solid. Um, but uh, at the time that this was made, um, I, like uh, so filming began in June of 1996, and they finished in October, and it was originally supposed to be released in fall of 97, and then it was delayed until February of 98. And if that sounds like uh, a lengthy post-production process, it's because it is. And uh, But the reason for that is because CG, in the way that they're doing it in this movie, yes, yeah, the norm now, but back then, it took a lot of time. Um, and it's pretty much just for all the CG that uh, is what made the this movie take so long between being in the can and being put in theaters like similar to the 98 Godzilla, like had a lengthy post-production that these days would probably be done in like a week. But you know, you think about that movie, like at the end when Godzilla's on the bridge, like animators had to like animate like each bridge, each brick, you know, falling off and stuff like that. And back then, like that took a long time, you know, nowadays they just, uh, uh, schedule the animators to work 80 hours a week and tell them they can't see their families until they're done. It wasn't <laughs> like that back then. You didn't have, like, because a lot of people were still really pioneering it and it was still a relatively new technology, yeah, people were almost, like, hand-animating it, essentially. You know, you didn't have, like, a bunch of programs already kind of pre-built that would, you know, oh, I need a tentacle. And you just like click the tentacle program, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was people sort of laying the groundwork for it to be a little bit easier. Yeah. It's not like future. today where uh, if you're, if you're at the asylum, you just have to like, buy a, 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 a generic effects package <laughs> and that's where like all your creatures <laughs> come from. <laughs> so we haven't talked yet about the big really the, the the big creature design itself and how everyone feels about it. Uh, um like the big like the big reveal at the end. That that's a cool, like, I remember seeing this movie for the first time and that feeling like the the really cool reveal of the movie, the idea that it's not just a bunch of, I don't know, tentacle monsters or whatever, you know, that it's a single entity. 
Yeah. Um, no, the creature design is really cool, which I, you know, I, I would expect no less from Rob Bottin. The tentacles themselves are cool. Like, uh, they almost have like a, it's almost like a graboid tentacle in that, like, there's more to it than what you first see. Like, the mouth will open up and then it'll reveal teeth and then it'll open up more and reveal, like, little feelers and, and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, the actual full reveal of the monster. I think is really cool. I like that it has these, uh, uh, like kind of glazed over, um, eyes kind of similar to what you'd see in a real octopus. The, the, the best and most successful monster designs, I think are ones that you want to keep looking at them. Cause they're like fascinating to look at cause they're so detailed, but they're also disgusting and horrifying. And you can easily imagine that if you were by something that would really look like that, you'd be scared shitless. <laughs> and I think I think that's the case with this. And I think Botine was very smart to kind of pull in some, like you were just saying, or like some real kind of like aquatic looking elements. Because on, like on Earth, right, there's nothing scarier looking than a lot of like the weird fucked up fish we see at like the <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, very deep parts of the ocean. And and this like has a lot of elements of that. And so, yeah, it's like when it's on screen, that big reveal at the end, it's just like... And if you're like a monster person, you find yourself wanting to like pause the screen, like look at it like in more detail. But it's also it is scary. It's like a, and that's where I think again, I think the CG is actually pretty decent when you get the big like uh, when it is getting more fully revealed at the end. Uh, I really, I really like the design of this monster a lot. It's like a lot better than the more uh, generic like kind of uh, what's like a Neville Page kind of stuff. Yeah, we got yeah. For like years yeah. after you know yeah, after this. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, he Neville Page is the guy that like he's I guess the Cloverfield monster is his thing. And the the Cloverfield monster is a really cool design. Yeah. The problem with that is after Cloverfield, he just kept doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, because the uh, the Super Eight monster is basically yeah, just... yeah. So, and then, uh, and then the thing in. Yeah. Yeah, the thing Star Trek, Star Trek, and the yeah. the uh, the aliens and cowboys and alien like that. That it's all like Cloverfield monster knockoffs, and it's like it's kind of like that band that like has the one hit single, and then they just keep trying to make the same single over and over again. And you're just like, okay, maybe do something else. Are you talking about how, like how Bobby Boris Pickett followed the Monster Mash with the Monster Swim and then Monster Holiday and they're like the exact <laughs> same songs? Yeah, who it? Who originally did the twist? Chubby Checker. Yeah, I was. I wanted to say Chubby Checker, but I didn't want to be wrong. Uh, but yeah, he he made like a bunch of more twist songs after that. There's like mm. a twist a universe. I have some stuff pulled up because I want to talk, and this this will segue into a bigger thing that uh uh has been irritating me um, oh how this is uh, no whoa, 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 don't don't spoil it don't spoil it <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there uh the imdb s- s- trivia for this is out of control and <laughs> and this movie i think this movie's trivia page maybe more than any is like a closet case of why imdb maybe needs moderators or fact checkers or something um, because there's just a lot of crazy stuff here that either makes no sense or is completely false. Um, so I have. Does it some... also have that stuff that's like fun facts that are not like fun facts at all? Like, yeah, but you, that's. I mean, like... that, I, that that's like you get that in all kinds of IMDb stuff, um, where the fun fact will be like it it made this much money, and it's like, well, that's not like. My favorite is like 
I can't remember what movie it was. I sent it to you guys at the time. I, I wish I could remember what movie it was, but the, the IMDb trivia piece was just, uh, Sir Roger Moore liked this movie so much. He bought a copy of it on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Casino Royale. Yeah, but yeah, but I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for the love of God, I don't know what's going on at IMDb, but this has been a thing as long as it's existed and it, like it needs to stop. But I have some choice things here, including some myth busting, uh, and some WTF moments, really. Uh, the first, I guess, is more of a myth-busting thing. Rob Bottin handled the creature design for the film, and while they don't mention it, I don't know who they is or who would be mentioning it or what, there's a hallway shot here with the floorboards flipping as the creature moves quickly underneath that was borrowed from John Carpenter's The Thing. Okay, first of all, Robotine handled the creature design for the film, and while they don't mention it, there's a hallway shot of blah, blah, blah. Who do, who, well, who doesn't mention it? <laughs> and then if, if whoever wrote they this... Wanted, this guy <laughs> wanted the movie to stop and have Treat Williams and, and Fam, Famke Janssen look at the camera and go, that's from The Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so not only that, but I'm assuming the person that wrote this maybe listened to the commentary or whatever, or some of the interviews on the Blu-ray, but if they were paying attention, they would realize the shot itself is not borrowed from the thing. That makes it sound like it's stock footage. What they did is they used the same behind-the-scenes trick as the scene in the thing where the floorboards are coming up. It, And then the next thing is, it is said at... <laughs> I can't imagine this is true. And I, it's the only time I've ever seen it. If, if you're on IMDb Trivia and you've never seen it, something mentioned outside of that, chances are it's not true. Uh, but it is said at some point Jim Carrey <laughs> was about to work on the film in auditioning to play Joey when Harrison Ford was considered. But after Ford's rejection, Carrey also departed. I don't, I don't see that. And I have found no verification or source of this information. The next one that I have pulled is a, a, a WTF. And it simply says, both believe that current digital technology makes it impossible to tell if something was shot digitally or on film. And then there is a quote that says, they figured out how to put warmth into it. It doesn't say who, who wrote that. It doesn't say who said that. <laughs> And when and it says both believe that this is something that both believe, I don't know who both of who. <laughs> All right, and then finally the cherry on top, which is what prompted me to like do an initial deep dive, no pun intended, into Deep Rising a few years ago, and has cursed me to this day. And we know how uh I don't know, kaiju fandom loves to cling to information and run with it, even when it makes no sense, even when there's no verification, no source to back it up. And I, I, I am convinced that the root, ground zero for this rumor, started with IMDb trivia. Um, and I will just read to you what it says and then tell you why it's BS, because uh, this has been pent up for a while. So, it says, the island that the survivors become stranded on at the end of the film is more than a simple nod to King Kong and Skull Island. It was actually intended to be a lead-in to a King Kong reboot, which also would have been directed by Stephen Summers. 
In the late 90s, an idea for a modern-day King Kong reboot began making its way through Hollywood pictures. It was to be a response to the rather poorly received Godzilla by TriStar, which was released that same year. The idea was initially picked up in summers, already attached to the upcoming Mummy reboot, expressed a strong interest in becoming involved with the project. The reboot wound up in development hell and eventually was passed on to other studios, becoming the basis for the 2005 remake by Peter Jackson. Uh, I feel like mostly everyone in the room (laughs) can probably tell me why that's wrong, but Universal had the remake rights to King Kong since the 70s, which is when Paramount did their version. There was a whole legal fiasco behind that, and who owns the rights to what with King Kong? That's a whole other can of worms that we've talked about. Another story for another day, story that has been told. Um... And Peter Jackson, in 96, was working on his version of King Kong. That got held up, and then he walked away to do Lord of the Rings, and then came back to Universal for King Kong after that. So, right there, that makes the story make no sense. Because Hollywood Pictures and Disney never had the rights to do a Kong movie. And and Peter Jackson's version was in production... The first time around at the same time as Deep Rising. So that doesn't make any sense. Um, and I've talked to, I, I, I have, and, and you might be thinking, well, Kyle, why are you reacting so, so much to the stupid IMDb trivia? Go to Google, type in Deep Rising King Kong, and you will find listicles from the screen rants of the world here are one of one of my favorite pieces. The headline is 25 things you didn't know about this King Kong prequel. It is spread like wildfire and I am I am otherwise I would just laugh this off, but I it has it become a, a, a monumental pain in my ass <laughs> to see this everywhere. So much so that uh, if you look up the character King Kong on Google, it says Frank Welker voiced King Kong in Deep Rising, which I don't know if Frank Welker roar, you know, he he did voiceover roars and stuff. I don't know if any of that is in Deep Rising to begin with, but I, just no. 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 And on the Blu-ray from the horse's mouth, Um, There is an interview with the cinematographer who talks about the ending, and he says that Stephen Summers, if not for the mummy, his dream project to follow this up was Journey to the Center of the Earth, and it was more a little cute homage to the island Journey to the Center of the Earth, and that was what he wanted to do next. Not a King Kong. The end. That's it. You make a lucid well thought out argument but muffmaster 69420 said <laughs> king kong prequel so uh it's fun. i mean you, you, seriously like uh one of the first things i saw last time i like did a google search is like a deviant art thing that was like uh yeah, hopefully the next MonsterVerse movie has the thing from Deep Rising and we can finally see like what was supposed to happen. And it's like, no, please, for the love of God, you people need to stop. 
Sorry, I zoned out for a second. Are we going to talk about how this is a King Kong prequel or what? (laughs) (laughs) That is a cool idea. I like that someone would be like, the next movie I want to make is King Kong, and that it's going to end on Skull Island. That's a pretty if fun idea. If, if they could have actually pulled that off, right? If this could have been a secret King Kong prequel, it, yeah, it would be cool. Like, that would be neat. Right. Um, my own personal headcanon, though, when I watch it now is, like, because I know that's not true. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. And when I, like, this most recent time I watched it, if I wanted to, like, make up my own version of what this was a prequel to, I just think they're on the island from Lost at the end. It's funny you mention that. I have heard Steven Summers joke about that a lot. Even on the commentary, when they they uh, they get to the island, he says, uh, "And if it wasn't for JJ, <laughs> you know, we might see what happens." Like, so I, I think uh, that that's that's uh, a funny uh, thing for you because he's he's joked about that before. I, yeah, because that's I, that's, a, that's a big part of the Lost pilot is when they're all on the island the first night they hear like a giant roar out in the forest. Yeah, he, those who know the show know where that he goes, has but. said like just for fun he's thought about like before Lost he w- he would think about like well what if we did follow up do like a direct sequel to Deep Rising and he said like if if they did it probably would have been like what like a, a lot like lost and he was like you know i mean now that lost exists it's like something that you know i don't even think about anymore so it's a secret prequel to lost yeah speaking of that uh i guess i guess they had they reshot that ending because um the joey character was originally going to stay dead and i guess test audiences reacted to that poorly and uh they they reshot it with with him surviving um personally i think he should have stayed dead he's, he's definitely a cock block at the end there for for true williams <laughs> if i was true williams i wouldn't really want him showing up on that beach you know speaking of which i guess if i guess if i do have a complaint about this movie i the chemistry between those two characters, I guess, like, I guess the romantic chemistry, I just don't, like, buy. <laughs> it's, but when it, when it comes up, it's like an afterthought, I think is the problem. It, it's like, the, these the characters... doesn't really seem committed to it. Yeah, it's like, it's, it, 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 all, it, it feels like they were like, well, we need to have some kind of romance angle in there. So, yeah, it seems forced and kind of crowbarred in. Kind of how at the end of, um, Edge of Tomorrow, Tom, when Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt kiss, it's like, why? Come on. You didn't need to do that. They do have a sort of chemistry, not a romantic chemistry, but they are at least, you know, very much on the same wavelength. Right. So they, they do have, it's, it's tough to say they don't have chemistry because they do have, I mean, they get like, flirty and stuff, but it's never, well, I don't know. I, I guess it's not, it's never really believable to me. I guess they're the only two, like they're the two sane people in the room, you know, like, I feel like when I watched it, I'm chemistry. Did anyone else think that like Treat Williams' character had a thing going with like um, was her like Layla or whatever the the woman that's on his crew and like then obviously she's one of the first ones to go. But I thought like well, okay, he's not mourning her that much. So I guess I was wrong. But was like, she? Uh, Joey is that the, has a thing. That, yeah, that's Joey's, Joey's girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought he, I thought Joey just liked her. I didn't realize they were. No, actually. I think yeah, I think they do. I, there's like when the when the one guy says I haven't had Korean yet or something, he says that's my girlfriend, dude. And then there's another part at the beginning where like 
I don't remember quite well, but like when they we first see those characters, there's like a very brief interaction. It could be something as simple. I don't remember. Like I said, I don't remember what it is, but it it's something as similar as like one of them calling the other one babe or something like very yeah. like slight. So the fact that you don't remember it isn't. I mean, I'm it, pretty it's, sure well, it's not I a mean, big. It's fair, not a big not, thing. No offense to Kevin J O'Connor, I just didn't believe that that uh, woman would be. Dating him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I mean, I guess at the time, getting to getting back to, like, the reaction of this movie, I guess at the time I could see how someone could be like, oh, you know, if you've seen, I don't know, you can throw any monster movie in there, Tremors or Alien or whatever, it's like, well, it, it, you know, it, it's nothing you haven't seen before. I can see how someone might say that's, like, the worst thing about it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really wild to see the vitriol. Um, it's an older movie, so, yeah, not all the reviews are cataloged, but, for instance, like, Based on 33 reviews, it has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's, it, even based on 33 reviews, that just seems like too, too harsh. I don't know. Maybe times were just simpler back then. It's, it's, got, a, it, it's got a good cult following now, but, you know, back What's then. What's kind of like, like just to kind of put a button on this to go to wrap this around perfectly, because you started this conversation with a talk about how this is like indicative of this time the late nineties where all these like monster movies are being made. The odd thing about it. And I guess, you know, this is why it, they didn't keep going, but the fact that boom lasted as long as it did, when we got that many movies. My memory of it is that like 90% of those movies would come out and bomb. Yeah. And like, and the critics didn't like them. Never. So it's kind of yeah. like today you never like a trend is done. If two movies fail, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause I mean, the, I don't think the relic wasn't a hit. This wasn't a hit. Screamers wasn't a hit. Um, I mean, most of the Starship Troopers was not that big of a, I mean, I think actually Starship Troopers was like, did okay, but like, that was like a moderate hit. Maybe Anaconda was like the big hit of the bunch, but yeah, for, uh, Mimic obviously bombed. So I'm just kind of surprised they kept trying to do these big monster movies when crap like, you know, virus, like I said earlier, is coming out and just stinking up the joint. Another thing that just occurred to me about the critical reaction is now a lot of the people that are reviewing movies like this are our age and I don't for better or worse um much more forgiving of genre movies like like critics aren't aren't just, aren't film snobs anymore now critics are just nerds and so if a movie like this came out now it probably would do better because it's being viewed the critics that are going to be watching it are already fans of science fiction and horror and monsters. Um, yeah, that's no excuse. Roger Ebert grew up during like the, the atomic monster era. He should know better. Yeah. You know what? And, and you know, I, there's, he has, he, he there's he a whole thing against monster movies. There's a whole thing with Ebert and Godzilla fans that I just do not have the energy to dig up at the <laughs> moment. But, but uh, Ebert, as much as I enjoyed him as a critic, I always enjoyed reading Ebert. Um, I, he, he, he was just super inconsistent. Mm -hmm. I I mean, he would, he would slam something like this. And then the most like wrote garbage, he would like give like a three out of four or whatever. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, again, I, Probably one of my favorite critics, but when he was wrong, he was like super wrong. <laughs> and and yeah, the if, if, with monster movies and stuff like that, he 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 could be like really wrong. He just had a thing. I, I don't know. I mean, whatever. 
Yeah. But there's no accounting for personal taste, you know? I mean, if you yeah. can't get on board with a movie where a guy doesn't realize that his multi-billion dollar cruise ship won't make enough money to operate and out earn its expenses until after he's built it and sent it out on its maiden voyage, then, I mean, come on. Well, he does realize that. After. After he's <laughs> built it. Well, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the uh, the underlying subtext of that plot element of the rich guy just being willing to, uh, you know, basically kill a ton of people <laughs> to make his investment back has aged uh, sadly well. Anyway, uh, yeah, the over the over the years uh, with it being on TV and stuff, you know, luckily this movie has kind of gained a strong following and um kind of been reappraised in recent years which is always a good thing um so i guess um deep rising um how many uh fake king kong prequels do you give it out of five i'm at a uh solid three and a half it's it's a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoy myself watching it. Good time. Uh, I, Highly recommend. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Three and a half for me also. It's a movie that like I kind of like going a few years without watching, so I can kind of forget bits of it. And so it's not like a real regular go to watch for me, but it's it's every if you let yourself kind of forget about it after a couple of years, it's always a fun one to revisit. Yep. I'm right there. I'm at uh Three and a half out of five uh, Famke Janssens. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, it's it's fun. Um, it's it's a shame that literally did this movie bomb because every single poster for it was like a sack of crap. Every yeah, there is no good poster for it. Honestly, the best artwork, official artwork I've seen for it, is probably the one they used on the the Blu-ray, but that's new for the disc, but yeah, yeah. All the actual posters are awful. I feel like I have a memory of like the, like the marketing in general being bad. I don't think the trailers were bad too, because I don't remember seeing, wanting to see this in a the theater. And I was definitely, even at that time, you know, as a teenager into this like monster stuff. So I yeah, think, I remember when it came out and my reaction to like seeing commercials and stuff was just like, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm with everyone. I, I give it a three and a half. Uh, it's a really enjoyable movie. Uh, You'll have fun watching it, I think. Um, uh, yes, it, there's things in, in it that you'll watch and be like, oh, I've seen that in this movie or that movie, whatever. But um, still, this is still a novel concept, cool monster, really a lot of really nasty, gross horror stuff. Um, and just, yeah, for a giant monster movie, the premise being the monster is wrapped around a boat and the tentacles are killing everyone. It's pretty cool. I'm glad it's being rediscovered, and hopefully uh, more people that are listening to this may be convinced to go check it out if they haven't already. Um, and that's Deep Rising, people. So uh, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, unless there's any last thoughts, we can, uh, we can sign off here. That's Deep Rising, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.